thing is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 27 and 29. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. If you would. We are wrapping up a series tonight called Relationship Status. And the idea behind this series that we hope has been very practical and obviously very biblical, but the idea is that we would all take a step back and assess the status of our relationships, friendships, marriages if you're married, family relationships, relationships we have with coworkers and other associates, that we'd really take a look at those and see the health of those relationships and especially in regards to what we are putting into those relationships. Because really what we're talking about is we contrast these two different aspects of relationships, each message in the series, really what we're talking about are the decisions that we make. The decisions I make and what I say and what I do and how I interact and whether I choose to forgive or not, how connected I choose to be, how much I, I choose to invest in the relationship. And so really it comes down to the decisions that you and I make in our relationships. And I hope that you have listened and continue to listen with that framework in mind. So often we hear a message or we read a, a biblical text or a teaching of Jesus and we say, oh, I know someone who needs to hear this. And when we talk about relationships, sometimes we think if we can just fix our spouse or if we can just get our kids to not be so disobedient or if we can just get our parents to relax some or, you know, our coworkers to not be so selfish. So often we look at the other side of the relationship when obviously we can't control other people. We can control ourselves, and we can determine what we say and do and the decisions we make. And so as we have talked about things such as being connected versus being conflicted, it comes down to the choices I make. Am I nurturing deep and meaningful connections in the relationship? Or am I adding fuel to an already hostile situation by doing and saying things that, that damage the relationship, that bring conflict to the relationship? When it comes to love versus lust, am I trying to reflect godly love as we read about in 1 Corinthians 13 and other places? Or is self-seeking lust more the nature of the relationship? And so really it comes down to the choices we make. Tonight we're going to talk about something that is very important that impacts all of our relationships. Certainly marriages, families, romantic relationships, but also friendships and relationships with co-workers and associates, and that is being reflective or responsive versus being reactive. Being responses versus being reactive. Now, this was supposed to be a co-presentation, but my co-presenter is sick. Unfortunately, Sean McElroy is sick, and he let me know that today, and he really regrets being here, and I regret him not being here too. But really, I'm serious, I wish that you um, got to have the opportunity to hear from him on this subject because 
not only has he studied this subject, but he also, as a counselor, has many years of experience dealing with people in their relationships who struggle with emotional reactivity and the damage that that often causes in marriage or in family or in other relationships. And so I really do regret that that he's unable to be with us tonight so that you could hear from him. But throughout this week, we've actually done some brainstorming, and then today he shared a few of his notes with me, and that was very helpful. So we'll see if we can uh, try to get through this with his part uh, not being presented by him. I did like one of the things he was going to do, especially at the beginning, was to show a few pictures from a website that people send in pictures of their children having meltdowns. And then they say why the, the kid is having the meltdown. And so I, I looked at that and I used some of his pictures and I added some of my own. You see the caption there, the goat ate the goat food from his hand. Now that's what goats do at a petting zoo, but you know, for this kid that just set him off, scared him or whatever it was. And so uh, obviously he is having a meltdown there. How about this one? He didn't want to share his leg hole in the basket. I'm more impressed with that lock on there. I don't know, is that to lock the kids in place? I'm not sure what that is. How about this one? He made Iron Man out of costume. (laughs) That did not go well. Very disappointing. T-Rex's jaw is not big enough to bite Lego Man's head. (laughs) I hate it when that happens. (laughs) We said she couldn't have more bacon. Now, to me, this is a justifiable meltdown. I really think... If someone says you can't have more bacon, you deserve to have a meltdown, I think. And then one more, there was no more cake because he had eaten it all. (laughs) But he couldn't, you know, he didn't reason. All he knows is there's no more cake on his plate, and so he's upset. You know, if you've been a parent of a toddler, you understand those pictures. In fact, you have probably lived those pictures. It's almost like someone has come into your home and taken some pictures. If you have not been the parent of a toddler, you have probably been on an airplane or at the grocery store, and you witnessed a toddler have a meltdown. And then you probably looked at the kid's parents and thought, are you not seeing and hearing what I'm seeing and hearing? And I'll just tell you on behalf of all of those parents, yes, we do. But at that point, we just don't care anymore. We just don't care. It's true, right, parents? There is a cultural expectation that kids will have meltdowns. I mean, we just sort of expect kids to have meltdowns. You know, sometimes when when I'm sitting over here in, in a worship service or even out there and you hear a kid scream or yell or say no or, you know, some big outburst, no one really thinks anything of it except, of course, the kid's parents. They think everyone's looking at them and they get worried. But the rest of us, we don't think anything of it. But can you imagine if an adult did that? (laughs) If an adult did that, we would go, what in the world is happening? What is wrong with that person, right? Because it's not expected. We expect our kids to sometimes have meltdowns. It's part of being a child. But as we mature, as we get older, as we develop emotionally and socially and intellectually, hopefully, We don't have meltdowns like that when the Waffle House says they're out of bacon or the car won't start. We don't have an emotional breakdown or a meltdown. But the truth is, too often, we are more like these children than we would probably like to admit. 
Is that right? We do react. And so often, our reactions are based on our emotions, how we're feeling. And usually those emotions are triggered by something that someone else does or says. Emotional reactivity poisons relationships. It is so damaging in relationships. Across the board, no matter what relationship we're talking about, emotional reactivity is so dangerous. When we react emotionally, either in outbursts or even passive-aggressive outbursts that may not look like screaming or yelling or crying, but they're more subtle and yet just as damaging, or maybe some other unhealthy expression of emotion, we are cutting deeply into the fabric of those relationships. And it really is difficult to overcome the damage that is done when we do that, especially over time. And in many ways, our culture reinforces emotional reactivity. There's a growing force in our social world known as the outrage culture. The outrage culture where basically outrage, expressions of hostility, are being normalized, almost expected. You go on social media, someone says something that you disagree with, that you disagree sharply with. What do you do? What do people do? Well, they attack that person. They feel like they have a license to say anything that they want to say to attack, not just the issue, not just to disagree, but to attack the person. And so things like empathy, those, those aren't present. Empathy is, is a weakness when it comes to the outrage culture. Listening is inferior. You see, discourse becomes a competition. It's about winning. It's about showing up the other person. It's about attacking them and elevating me. Public discourse becomes a competition, not a dialogue for growth and development. Well, this is not only happening out there in the world and in social media. Unfortunately, too often we have an outrage culture in our homes. And I would say maybe sometimes even in the church. Where expressions of outrage, where attacks against other people, either directly or more subtly, more passive-aggressive attacks, become more normalized, almost expected. Your spouse hurts your feelings, and so you lash back with a verbal jab. Your parent enacts some form of discipline, so you throw a fit. Your child disobeys, and so you fly off the handle and overreact. Your coworker comes after you, so you say or do something that you later regret. Or, in all of those cases, you displace that emotional reactivity onto something or someone else. You get mad at work, you bring it home and take it out on your kids or your spouse. And we've developed this culture of outrage. And again, outrage doesn't necessarily mean visible, screaming, yelling, outrage, hostility, although sometimes it does. There are various forms of this outrage, but it's always a reaction fueled by emotion. From some place like anger, or frustration, or hurt, or self-protection, or fear, or defensiveness, or pride, or probably others, we allow that overriding emotion to propel us to action, 
to doing or saying things that so often damage that relationship. There is a biblical example I want us to consider tonight of what I think we could call emotional reactivity. And it's Moses. Now, in his youth, if you know the story of Moses, you know that Moses actually killed a man in what, on the surface, appears to be an impulsive act. Now, he is defending his fellow Hebrew citizen against this Egyptian who is mistreating the man, but when you read the text, it looks like this impulsive act. Well, later in Moses' life, there is another event. God has used Moses to deliver the Israelites, God's people, out of Egyptian slavery, and they're on the move. And if you know at all the story about Israel in the Exodus, you know that they so often complained where God provided for them and protected them and led them in miraculous ways, they so often forgot about that. And they would complain, we don't have it good out here. We, have, we don't have our needs met. And so on one of these occasions, they're in the desert and food and water is scarce. And so the people go up to Moses and Aaron, the leader of the Israelites, and they complain. Moses, we don't have anything to drink out here. We're dying. We had it so much better in Egypt. We should go back. You never should have left or should have let us out of there. We never should have left. And Moses and Aaron go into the tent of meeting and they call on the name of the Lord. And God gives them very specific instructions. God says to gather the people. To gather the people at this rock. And for Moses to speak to this particular rock, and water would flow from the rock. And here's what happened next. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 9. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his hands and struck the rock twice with his staff. Water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. Now, there are several things going on in this text. And I don't want to minimize what's happening here or deconstruct it in such a way that we make it so simple because there are many levels and layers to this text, and I would encourage you to study it sometimes. But I think on one level, we see Moses reacting, don't we? God says for him to speak to the rock, and what does Moses do? He strikes the rock. Now, granted, previously, God had told him to strike the rock to get water from the rock, and that's what he did. But in this case, God was very clear with his instructions. Speak to the rock. And Moses chose to strike the rock. It appears that this may have been an impulsive act, an act of reactivity from Moses. But who can blame Moses? <laughs> I mean, if that would have been you, if that would have been me, there's a good chance we may have done the same thing. In fact, we may have hit the rock and then hit a few of the people who whine so much, right? Who complain so much. It's one of the great things about the Bible, by the way, 
The people in the Bible are people. They are so real. They are not perfect. They are not cut-out heroes that, that never struggled or never did things that probably they regretted. And so Moses strikes the rock. And I think one of the, the things that is so important, one of the keys to this text, so important to point out, is verse 10. When Moses says to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring you water. Who's providing the water? It's not Moses. It's not Aaron. It's God. But Moses says, must we bring you water? You see, emotional reactivity is so often a mask for pride and selfishness. We want our way. We want to win the argument. We want to prove the other person wrong. We want revenge. We have been hurt, and we want the other person to hurt. So often, our reactive nature really is just a mask for our selfishness. A symptom of our selfishness. You see, the difference, the difference between a reaction and an action is so important. Because our reactions have consequences. When we do things and say things in the context of relationships that probably later many times we regret in those moments where we are thinking more clearly, the damage has been done. When we react emotionally, we set off a wave or multiple waves probably that wash over the people around us, that impact us, that impact them. Look at Moses. God says, You've come a long way with these people, but you don't get to go into this promised land. There are consequences for our reactivity. And so there is a difference that we need to talk about, a difference between reaction and action. And that difference is only two letters, right, when you look at the words. But those two letters represent such an important space, a very important space. In fact, Stephen Covey, who is well known as, as a speaker and a motivator, he says, in between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space, we have the freedom and the power to choose our response. That is so true. To me, in many ways, that is a profound piece of truth that should impact every aspect of our lives. In between stimulus and response, when someone says something, when someone does something, when someone cuts you off in traffic, when your kids disobey, when your wife or your husband says something that hurts you, in between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space, you have the power and the freedom to choose your response. You see, for Moses, there was a space between the people whining and complaining and him striking the rock. For that father, there is a space between his child defiantly disobeying him and his reaction to that child. For the wife, there is a space between her husband's withdrawal and how she responds to it. And For the husband, there is a space between his wife's comment and the next words that come out of his mouth. And for that friend, there is a space between a friend's hurtful actions and choices and the next course of action that you take. There is a space. 
The question is, what will you do with that space? What will you do there? How will you use that all-important space? I want you to consider the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6, when Jesus is teaching and preaching about the nature of life in the kingdom of God. So much of what he says obviously has relevance for living in community, which naturally means relationships. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to to be repaid in full. But love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Kind of a lengthy reading there, but I wanted to read it all because it really begins to build on itself and gain momentum as Jesus goes. And what he says right out of the gates is not just countercultural, it is counterintuitive. It is not natural. It is not natural to love those who curse you or bless those who curse you. It's not natural to give more to someone who takes from you. It's just not natural to do those things. It's certainly not easy. It's not natural to pray for those who mistreat you. What is natural is to get revenge on those who hurt you. What is natural is to try to put other people in their place when they do or say things that disappoint you. That's what's natural, right? Nothing Jesus talks about here is easy or natural. But when we default to what is natural, we often do and say things we regret. Doing what is natural causes us to be reactive. I mean, when we talk about impulses, that's where that comes from. It's my impulse, an impulsive decision, a reactive decision. It's so natural when someone pushes our buttons or, or our emotions are triggered for us to lash out in some way. Do you know Newton's third law? You've probably heard it before, right? For every action, there is what? An equal and opposite reaction. That means if I try to go down here and push one of those tables a little bit, I'm an acting force on that table, but that table is also an acting force on me, and so my hands will probably be, my skin will be compressed. Maybe my fingers will turn white, right? There's an opposite and equal reaction. So often that's how we are in our relationships. When we feel some force acting upon us, some negative force 
acting upon us. What do we do? We push back with an equal or even more negative force, typically. It's instinctive. It's who we are so often. But there's a better way. There's a much better way. Jesus here in this text in Luke 6, he's not affirming an impulse in us. He is developing a heart in us, a mindset, a place from which we can respond, not an emotion that drives a reaction. It's not just about what you do, it's about who you are. And Jesus wants us to be people of principle, people who anchor themselves into the values of God's kingdom. What's important to God should be important to us. And when we then have that foundation, we can respond in ways that honor him, that preserve the relationship, and that cherish that other person. And by the way, usually keeping us from regretting things that we do and say. So as we wrap up, let me just share with you two or three real practical things. Here we go. Number one, get grounded. Get grounded. What I mean by that is in Jesus' teaching, he's trying to, to bring about transformation in our lives so that we not only believe differently, but we live differently. And that's got to come from some place. If we allow the word of God and the values of his kingdom to order our lives, then we will act from that place. Until I allow the law of God, the word of God, the work of the Holy Spirit to shape my life, I will always find ways around acting the way he wants me to act. And so if I don't adopt generosity as a value in God's kingdom, I will never give. If I don't accept that forgiveness is at a premium in God's economy, I won't offer forgiveness until I understand and embrace the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and all the other fruit of the Spirit, until I accept those and more than that, want those to be who I am, then I won't act very loving or very patient or very kind. You see, those things, those attributes, those actions are grounded in some place deep within us. When we have nothing there, we will default to emotion. And that's what leads to reactivity rather than responding from a place of principle and value. How can I respond from a place of principle and value if I have no firmly established principles or values as my foundation? I will fall victim to my feelings rather than stand on my values. So get grounded. Number two, as you can see, push pause. Push pause. Stop and think before you do or say something you will regret. Proverbs 17, 28. Now, this proverb is not nearly as interesting as the one Evan used in our series, but if you don't remember that, you can go back and watch that one. But let's read Proverbs 17, 28. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. Did you know that was in the Bible? There's so much truth to that. 
Even fools are thought wise if they keep their mouths shut. (laughs) We can actually fool people when we're quiet. Proverbs are all about the wisdom being passed down, and there is great wisdom in keeping our mouths closed. And sometimes we just need to push pause. Rather than just let come out whatever's going to come out of our mouth, just push pause. Take advantage of that space. If that space isn't there, then create that space. That's okay. You can say something like, you know what? Let me think about this for a minute. Let me, let me think about this for a day or two. Let me take some time. You can even count to 10. You know, you've heard that before. Just pause, take a deep breath, count to 10. Count to 10,000. Count to whatever you have to count to, but create that space. It's okay to walk away. It's okay to call time out. Do what you need to do to calm yourself. You know, I remember hearing about a husband and a father who was at work all day and he sort of was in that world and then he would come home and he would just sort of feel bombarded by just the kids and the questions and, you know, just sort of switching gears and he was never quite ready for that. And he would often react out of a place of frustration from work or being tired physically or, or just, you know, trying to switch gears. And so he said what he did, he finally realized I needed to pull into the driveway kill the car and just sit there for a moment. Sit there for a moment and envision my family, what they're doing in the house, how much I love them. Say a prayer over them and get my mind and myself ready to step into that context. Maybe that's what you need to do in certain relationships is you need to sit in the driveway for a little bit. Push pause, count to 10. Take advantage of that space. And if that space isn't there, you can create that space. That space from which you have the freedom and the power to choose your response. And finally, submit to the Spirit. Don't misunderstand me. I think this is important to say. I am not saying that our responses to other people should never be laden with emotion. Okay, don't mishear me. I am not saying that we are robots, that we never speak with emotion, that we are never moved by emotion, that we never convey emotion. Expression of emotion in relationships often signifies transparency, vulnerability, and can actually promote closeness and intimacy. It is certainly appropriate to respond with emotion. But there is a difference between a reaction and a response. A reaction is impulsive. A response is measured. Our responses should always be subject to the will of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. What is the appropriate response in a certain situation? I don't know. It depends. Have you prayed about it? Does God's word speak to it directly or maybe indirectly? How can you preserve the relationship? How can you put not winning as the first priority or proving you're right or getting the last word, but how can you put the relationship and doing things and saying things that honor God as the first priority? When we submit to the Spirit, we allow God to shape our responses. Being an ambassador of Christ doesn't just mean that we are messengers 
of Jesus when we go on mission trips. We certainly are. But being an ambassador of Christ also means that in our everyday speech, throughout our relationships, throughout our interactions with others, we bear witness to the work of the Holy Spirit and reveal the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. There is so much more we could say about this. But I hope that you will take the challenge to do these three things. To get grounded in the word of God, the will of God, to have the heart of God. To be able in a very practical way just to pause, to take advantage of or to create that space that is so important. That space in which you get to choose your response. You have the power, the control to choose your response. Take ownership of that. And then ultimately to submit to the work of the Spirit in your life. That doesn't happen overnight. If you're like me, you're going to probably mess up more than you're going to get it right. But we are moving toward that goal. And God is patient with us. And God is working in us and through us. Tonight, if we can help you in some way, if we can pray for you and encourage you, support you, or maybe tonight you want to give your life to Christ, as Colton did this morning, and you want to be baptized into Christ and live for him, we'd love to help you with that tonight. We invite you to come as we stand and sing.